Hello, and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. My guest for this episode co-wrote Boy from Buchenwald with Robbie Wiseman. Here she is to introduce herself. So my name is Susan McClelland. I'm a writer, I guess. Originally, I was a journalist and sort of slipped into uh, writing these type of books with my very first book, which was uh, with Maria Tu Camara. She was a young sort of survivor of the Sierra Leone War. And I had written about her when I was on staff at McLean's and she had asked me to write her book and I had no idea that I could write books and that book was Bite of the Mango that ended up doing really well and that's how I sort of slipped into it and I met Robbie maybe five years ago uh, his uh, brother-in-law was uh, is actually a friend of mine and started telling me about Robbie's story and I was just really drawn to write not just Robbie's story, but about the Buchenwald boys that I felt were such a testament to, you know, survival. And you know, not many people know about these boys uh, who were, my understanding, if I'm not wrong, were the largest concentration of ch- child Jewish survivors. And by and large, many of them went on to, to do quite well in life. And so how did they do that? And Uh, certainly their life in France and their rehabilitation um, and the commitment of the Jewish community in Europe to to work with these boys and to help them in any way is is quite you know a model that we can look at today. Boy from Buchenwald is the winner of the 2022 Sheila A. Egoff Children's Literature Prize. Unfortunately, Robbie couldn't be part of our interview, but Susan gave me permission to include the audio from a book trailer her daughter made for the book, which includes Robbie talking about his story. Here's Robbie. I particularly remember uh, a certain conversation. I remember hearing anybody that will be lucky enough to survive this nightmare will live in paradise. Sure, uh, the expert, because we are full of rage and anger, told us, move it aside, move on with life, forget it. And uh, we tried to forget it, but then realized that it's important not to forget. Because uh, psychologists and psychiatrists who examined us said, forget about these kids they will not be able to become normal human beings. They have seen too much. Write them off. Don't try to rehabilitate them. They'll just live out their own lives if they will live out their own lives. We still have hunger in in many places. We still have people killing one another. Uh, so what does it take to learn to respect and, and live with one another? We're all human beings. 
In our conversation, we talk about the challenges of collaborating on projects like Boy from Buchenwald and the importance of using stories like this one to connect with young readers. Here's my conversation with Susan McClelland. So before we jump into uh, talking a bit more about uh, the book, I I know you've listened to the podcast, so you've probably heard this question, but if you could read one book or watch only one TV show for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Oh my gosh, one book. Oh, there's so many books. In fact, can I just preface that with... I just sold my house in Toronto and I have a daughter here and we got rid of everything. It was almost very cathartic. Like honestly, what I've kept, I put in my car. That's all I've got. But the one thing that I realize I miss and I, I really do regret this are my books. And I didn't think I would as much. So I, I don't know if I can point to one book. I will say that in, and of course it ties into the boy from Buchenwald. I think one of the books that really transformed me, I read in my very early twenties was Man's Search for Meaning. I think that really began my sort of own spiritual journey myself. It it was, I would say that that was a transitioning point for me, although I haven't read that in 25 years. So I, I, I don't know if it would still resonate the way it did when I read it then. I, I think each book that I've read has its moments where I find them really good. All right, let's talk a little bit more about Boy from Buchenwald. So you talked in your introduction, you talked a little bit about meeting um, Robbie, but can you tell me a little bit more about him? What, what did you kind of notice about him when you first met him? Uh, Robbie is very, uh, happy. We would go for in between our interviews, we would go for long, long drives and we could just sit in silence, but there wasn't silence between us. If you know that, like we became really good friends. It it was very special. He actually was the first person to really show me Vancouver, Stanley park. And, and, you know, we'd stop at Kitsilano and grab a coffee. His wife, Gloria, who sadly passed away, she helped tremendously in the story in helping probe Robbie's memories. But certainly it was his lightness. You know, he had a lightness to life, a a spirit, an optimism, and it was beautiful working with him. Yeah. And again, you, you talked a little bit about how you became involved in the project, but I wondered if you could expand a little bit on that and and what really drew you to this book. And, and when you're looking for a book to co-write, what do you look for in a project? I would say what I'm looking for in all my projects, and I've started another one that I'm really excited about, is really that survival and meaning and how people find meaning in this world, given whatever their circumstances are. It's not the horrors that they're experiencing at all that attract me to a story. It's that transformative spirit that they have and how they can share that with all of us, especially living in this world that we're living in right now. It's, you know, I left a city where I really felt that people had become very aggressive and mean with each other. And, uh, you know, I've always said that when I work and I travel for work, I have great hope for humanity. I work 
with some of the greatest thinkers and most beautiful communities on the planet that are really about change and, you know, positivity and just this moving us beyond this sort of rote mechanics of life that we get stuck into. And then I would joke, but being serious, but I'd lose faith when I drove my children to school. So I'm really looking for that sort of narrative arc of when people begin to find meaning in their lives that is non-secular or they might be drawing on their face, but certainly it's more than that. That brings us all together, that sort of collectivity that we all share, that we are, you know, I like the comment, I think it's Rumi, that really we're here for each other. And that's what I look for in my projects. All of them have been like that. All of them have been amazing people. Yeah. I know you talked about this when when you were part of one of the events we did a couple months ago, and and Robbie touches on it in the, I think it was the introduction for the book, but the challenges of working with memory, and this exists for anyone who's working on a, a memoir or an autobiography, but I mean, Robbie was probably dealing with so many additional barriers than just forgetting with time that happens to all of us. He was also dealing with, you know, what trauma does to memory. How did you approach uh, working with him on that? And how did you navigate those memories that that weren't concrete? And, And you mentioned Gloria was kind of instrumental in that too. I mean, she'd heard all the stories over the years and she really filled in a lot of the gaps with Robbie. And then there were also experts that I worked with. I, there were a few surviving Buka Mob boys. There's not many. Um, but there were, there was an expert in Michigan, a professor there, a historian. I worked very closely with him. He had been documenting the stories. A lot of the boys also had shared their testimonies with the Shoah Foundation, Steven Spielberg's foundation. So it was relying on a lot of other materials as well. And then this was touched upon in that last podcast with the three authors. And one was the historian and one who really wrote from uh, his first perspective. And I think some of that was also spoken word and poetry. And then mine is sort of a step back where I'm telling someone else's story, but from their point of view. And I think each piece, as I really thought about this afterwards, I don't think there's any anything that we can point to, to say that is an accurate portrayal of our history, of a point in history, all of these pieces, and it, it and it even broadens out to art, music, they're all pieces of a certain piece of time. And so I think in terms of memory, I mean, my next book is dealing with a very similar topic. I think it's all pieces, as long as as long as readers or the consumers of whatever the art know that there are recreations here and we're dealing with memory, um, you know, it is hard to avoid putting in context from today's sort of time some of the experiences from back then. And certainly Robbie's book was the longest, you know, it, close to 1940 to present, so 80 years of having to go back and recreate those memories. So a lot of it was really working working with secondary sources. Unlike my other books, like the North Korean books, I had to totally rely on what they would tell me because I couldn't get into North Korea and there's absolutely very little written about the life there. 
but with Robbie and especially with Robbie, because there is so much Holocaust literature and, and history and testimonies. It was really relying on the accuracy as far as could be of secondary sources and, and other material. Yeah. It seemed like Robbie was constantly navigating from the time that he, he left Buchenwald to, um, to now maybe even, uh, you know, navigating whether or not to share his story. And, and we see this in the book, you know, people encouraging him to write it and then telling him not to and, and just kind of moving back and forth. But could you talk about, um, maybe he shared this with you about why it was important to write this book? I know he's spoken a lot and he did the, the Shoah interviews as well. But uh, a book is kind of a different project. And this book in particular is is for young readers. So it could have been for adults, but he chose to make it accessible to younger readers. Well, it certainly, and we talk about this in the book, certainly when the boys got out, despite whatever prevailing psychology we had at the turn of the 18th to 19th centuries, the boys were really encouraged to put it behind them. Like, I mean, we certainly know and knew back then to deal with trauma in a much, much different way, but the absolute scale of what had happened, it, it was easier to tell these boys, put it away, put it away. And certainly <laughs> in the book I'm working now, the family who are in Montreal, you know, the father never really spoke about his experiences with his own children because it's just so horrific. I mean, how do you even begin to talk to your children about these experiences. It really was when James Keekstra started to speak publicly about there being no, the Holocaust deniers coming out that Robbie felt he really had a responsibility to speak up. And, you know, obviously he began speaking up slowly, you know, parts of his story. He went on to found the Holocaust Center in Vancouver with Dr. Robert Krell. So it was sort of a slow evolution for him to then sit down and put it all together in a book. But he certainly felt he had a responsibility to speak up. Yeah. I know that um, connecting with young people through story is an important part of, of this book and what Robbie wants to do. Could you talk a bit about that and, and just how that was woven into this project? Robbie was doing a lot of public speaking, I believe through the Holocaust Center. And what resonated most with him and he most enjoyed doing um, was speaking with younger audiences at school. And he really felt, and I went through the letters, there were hundreds of letters from young people saying how much his story touched them. And that's really why I decided to target this towards a young adult uh, audience because uh, you know an audience uh, adult audience as well I mean a lot of young adult YA books I mean I think there used to be some stats I don't know what they are now but my understanding is that 50% plus of YA readers are adults anyways but just really felt to target it toward the audience that seemed to be resonating and speaking with Robbie most there was something in the way he did speak about his experiences that was connecting most with young readers. I, I read the letters. They were phenomenal. Can you talk a, a bit more about the letters? Sure. I mean, they were students from all sorts of walks of life. 
uh, mental health challenges, letters from uh, Aboriginal young people talking about their own history of genocide, of oppression in our modern day, feeling, you know, there were not advantages. Some of them were, you know, I'm not getting along with my mother, but your story. I mean, they went from you know, collectively the hurt we've done to one another to individually, but they were very well written. Um, they were coming from students of every cultural background, religious background. Um, they were students that really walked away hearing Robbie's story and feeling a little bit more faith in humanity and a little bit more courage that they could surmount their own difficulties and and together that they didn't have to sort of suffer what they were suffering in silence and i think that's what's really important i mean i certainly found this when i wrote maria Chu's book bite in the mango which was 2008 and we didn't have a lot of literature back then that dealt with sexual violence in young people um and i would go with talks with maria Chu, and there were so many young people that would come up to me and her and say thank you i feel i now can speak about my own rape so i think these books also open the door to giving permission in societies that have been tended to be closed off including our greater canadian society like don't talk you have to be a certain way you have to act a certain way it, they give permission for people to begin expressing their own pain in this world and that's all legitimate. Yeah. As um, someone who works with other people to kind of write their stories, and and many, it seems like many of these stories deal with um, trauma and and those traumatic memories. How do you work through that process with someone? And also, how do you take care of yourself through that? Because while it didn't happen to you, it's still, you know, you're still having to sit with someone who's gone through some very horrible and the darkest times in our humanity. So how do you navigate that process? Well, I will say that when I get involved in a project, like I can't watch films for pleasure that deal with topics that I've written about. My daughter was watching something that had to do with sexual violence. And I just, I couldn't do it. Human trafficking, I couldn't do it. If it was for work, there's a different mindset that comes in and I can watch it. And certainly it's come to my attention, this sort of phrase trauma porn recently, which I certainly get I'm involved in a company uh, with African filmmakers, and certainly so many of their stories have been sensationalized and focused on the violence. I really am attracted to these stories, not because of the traumatic experiences, but really moving toward how people have healed from this and the larger sort of collective consciousness that we all share of, of both survival and, and spirituality in some form of another that all of these books sort of have a com common denominator. I will say by the time I get involved working with my subjects, uh, if I can call them that, although I hate the name, they have processed the trauma. And believe it or not, the crying and the emotional aspect that comes out in all my conversations with the people I work with seems to be more around the beautiful moments that have happened. You know, Maria Chu, for instance, broke down and cried when she talked about an uncle that would come to the hospital when she was hurting. 
you know, Robbie would break down and cry just remembering the beauty of his mother's cooking. That seems to be where it's the hardest moments with the people I work with. In some way, the people with whom I'm working, when they get to the trauma moments, they've processed it enough that almost mechanically they can tell me what it is. And But certainly when we go to read how I've written that, I will sit with them always to make sure they're not re-traumatized and whatnot. And really only one of the people I've worked with found it very difficult to go back and reread her very hurtful moment. That's, and in terms of me, <laughs> I don't know. I, um, I learn more from the people with whom I'm working, I think, than, than they learn from me. I just write their stories. Um, they, they help me keep sane in this world. You mentioned that Robbie became a friend. Is that, is that happened with other people? Everyone, everyone, <laughs> everybody I've worked with. Yes. And not just in my books, but also in my magazine and now filmmaking world, everyone. Yeah. What winning has been like for you and, and maybe Robbie's family? I think with Robbie's family and for me, you know, we're just, we're greatly honored. It's, it's wonderful to see the reception of the book and this story you know we we have a war in the ukraine we have genocides and horrific exp- i mean one of my last books was on the yazidi uh genocide we keep repeating history and so it's wonderful a that the book is being recognized but also that it's getting out there to younger people who really are the change makers of the future and hopefully hopefully they will be the generation that will finally say okay enough enough you know yeah i know some of the people i've talked to who've read the books are adults but they're adults who are library children's librarians and teachers and and we're just taken by what an important book it was as a teaching tool like it it yes of course it deals with as i said some of the, the darkest moments in our humanity but it makes them accessible but it also as robbie touches on in the book it, it's more about love than it is about hate and and that's the message that i think we need right now yeah that's the message all my books i hope people walk away with that it is about love not not hate and the trauma that they experience that was susan mcclelland Susan co-wrote Boy from Buchenwald with Robbie Wiseman. Boy from Buchenwald is the winner of the 2022 Sheila A. Egoff Children's Literature Prize. If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Next time on Writing the Coast, I talk to Karen Duffick and Jordan Wilson, who created Where the Power Is, Indigenous Perspectives on Northwest Coast Art with Bill McClellan. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.